Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are continuing our Loving Your Enemy series. This is part two on healing and action. Before we get started, the question I have for you all is what does it mean to be human? Okay, so we are going to be in the same passage we were in last week. Um, And so we're going to read it, tell you a little bit about why and how that happened, um, and where we're going to go this morning. Sound good? So we are still in the book of Luke, as we have been, and maybe will be forever. And we are 18 weeks in. Yeah, we're six chapters. That's fast. Yeah, that's true. Okay. We're flying through this thing. Uh, So we are in the book of Luke, chapter 6, I believe this is starting at verse 27. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. If you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. So, pretty light passage. And last week, last week, I feel like it was one of those moments where, like, if you grew up in the church or had that experience, it was like this water balloon like holding back like being held back by i don't know and then just like reading this passage just like took a needle and was like boop and all of these like feelings came bursting out um just based off upon hearing that passage i know some people in this room are like no (laughs) that was the very thing that forced some kind of weird oppressive shameful narrative in my life and i don't even want to hear it and so we really need to acknowledge that before we even can move towards deconstructing and then reclaiming. So last week we talked about forgiveness, and the basic idea was this, that forgiveness is not so much a merciful act um, that you give to another person, but it's rather your faithfulness and loyalty to the truth that people are good and capable of transformation. Um, And so we had this great conversation, and then after I had so many more great conversations, I got this incredible email from Scott Kim, and... um, conversations with Jasmine, so many people in this room, and they were like, okay, that's fine, but what about the nuances? What about power? What role does privilege play in it? What about this? What about boundaries? And I was like, yes, 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 yes. Okay, let's keep talking about this. 
Obviously, we have hit something that we need to keep talking about it. And like Corey and I say all the time, we're not the magical people up here that are like, we know exactly where this community needs to go and the trajectory it's on. This is a rowboat. So everyone was like, hey, I've got so many more questions about this. Great. We're going to keep talking about this. And I don't know if Corey said this, but next week, he's also preaching on this passage. So we are just here. <laughs> Get comfortable, everybody. We will not move until we are ready to move. And so, um, so we're doing it again. And so last week's conversation about this idea of being faithful to the journey of seeing people as good and powerful, capable of transformation um, <clears throat> is real. But there are a lot of things that make that really hard, and we need to talk about that. And so um, as I'm reading this passage and like studying and like just reading and reading and reading, I'm like, you know what? I actually find it problematic as well when I think about the way it was presented to me, in particular this one part that's like, if someone slaps you on one cheek, give them the other cheek, right? It's always been a part I've been like glazed over a little bit, right? Because I'm like, what, what does that mean? That's, that's the very part of the passage that for me has been used to say, if someone mistreats you, just allow that to keep going, right? It has kind of felt how it's felt growing up in church. And so reading and reading and reading being like, what what is the reclaim with what I know about scripture, with what I know the trajectory of the gospel, with what I know to be true about God and Jesus and this reclaiming that I'm doing, what does this mean? And then it hit me that that passage uh, is reflective of what Jesus kept saying and what Jesus did on the cross, which is not let everyone do whatever to you and don't create boundaries and care about yourself. It was the violence will end with me and I will not repay violence for violence because I'm creating a new kingdom in which people have to see each other as humans. This idea that culturally in that time, doing that would force the person who was hitting you to see your humanity and in forcing them to see your humanity, the hope is that you would force them to see their own. Now you're not just opposing people on different sides of power structures, but you're humans. And that 100% is the gospel message, right? The gospel will always do what? It will bring up the oppressed and it will bring down the oppressor. And we do that by sharing in a humanity, not by sharing in systems and structures. And so how then do we take the knowledge that the story starts in Genesis 1? We say that all the time. It starts with people that are good, that are children of God. It doesn't start in Genesis 3, but there is a Genesis 3. And we do live in a world where people are good and capable of transformation. And we also live in a world where people have since the beginning of time and will continue to abuse power. And the abuse of power has created systems that we experience within our family, that we experience within our country, and globally. And if it's true what we say all the time, that our healing contributes to the healing of the world, then maybe the opposite is unfortunately true, that the oppression of the world contributes to our oppression. And I don't think there's a person in this room that hasn't been affected by someone who has refused the road of transformation and taken the road of abuse of power. So the story starts in Genesis 1. And Jesus is preaching this upside down radical gospel where the violence stops with you and we don't repay that. Um, violence for violence, and it's all so ideal, and it's all so great, but then there's Genesis 3, and then there are these systems, and then there are these things that have happened to us in our life, and what do we do now? Anybody? Just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, we are going to talk about that. Um, and before we talk about that, I'm going to bring up our interesting person. So, we do an interesting person here at New Abbey. 
Um, and it usually happens in announcements. Um, but today's interesting person is a friend of mine. Her name's Danielle. And she's actually going to share a little bit about her story through this spoken word piece that she has um, that she does. So give it up for Danielle. And she's going to share with us. When I was eight years old, I was told that my skin resembled the eight ball on a pool table. On that day, I realized that my feelings and self-esteem could be struck at any time with the end of a slick kid's tongue. When I was 11 years old, I was playing outside and I saw a young boy sitting by himself, so I walked up to him and asked if he wanted to play. He said his mommy told him he was not allowed to play with people who had skin that looked like mine. That day, I blamed my parents for my skin and asked God why he made the color of waste hereditary when I was in the 10th grade. My teacher was instructing a lesson about slavery. During his lesson, he made me stand in front of the class to show everyone my prison sentence and their freedom, causing a divider higher than Amy Winehouse before she passed away between us. When I was in 11th grade, a boy cut out a picture of a monkey and taped it to my friend's school ID. He walked around campus telling students that black people really are monkeys. That day I learned that monkey stands for make one noose, kill every young savage. I learned that black was synonymous with savage when I was a freshman in college. I was told that it was okay to hang a Confederate flag in your dorm room, but not pictures of Usher with his shirt off. That day, I was reminded that a symbol that represents slavery is less offensive than a man in good shape when I was a sophomore in college. A friend of mine was called a nigger in Adams Hall, a dorm room at my school. That day, I was reminded that just because our president is black does not mean that nigger will no longer be attached to this skin when I was a junior in college. I was in the Women's Resource Center at my school, and a girl ran up to me and pulled my hair while screaming that I reminded her of the kids she met in Kenya. That day, I was reminded that my personal space was irrelevant if someone wanted to reminisce on his or her mission trip when I was a senior in college. One of my little sisters at APU told me that these two boys were walking behind her and demanded that she turned around. When she did not oblige, they told her that she deserved 40 lashes like the woman in 12 years a slave. They told her, that she deserved 40 lashes like the woman and 12 years a slave. That day I came to the conclusion that not much is changing because people still think that she is a slave, that I am a slave, that we are slaves. Dear racism and every system that has been put into place that has allowed it to stay alive, we are not slaves. We are human, we are human, we are human just like you. We are not three fifths of a person needing you to come and save us. We are human, we are human, we are human just like you. We are not niggers. Ignorant is the last word that defines us. We are queens and kings. We are not slavery, but freedom. We are human. We are human. We are human just like you. We are not monkeys here to dance around in a parade you think you are orchestrating. We are human. We are human. We are human just like you. We are not words that you can use to plagiarize an essay you're writing on slavery. We are history. We are truth. We are human. We are human. We are human just like you. We are not the color of waste, but of a midnight sky and tree bark, of hazelnut cream and all things sweet like chocolate. We are human. We are human. We are human just like you. We are not eight balls that you can just strike whenever you choose. We are human. We are human. We are human just like you. We are human. We are human. We are human just like you. When people ask me, if racism still exists, I sometimes think I'm the one who is crazy for answering them with a yes. Then I remember that I'm not looked at as human, that we have not been looked at as human, that we have to write poems to prove that we are human.
So if we have this, this idea, this Genesis 1 story, and if we imagine that idea as a mirror, then we all have something in our life, multiple somethings, that have cracked that mirror and changed the way we see ourselves, changed the way we see people, and changed the way we see God. And a few years ago, I heard Danielle do that poem, um, and it's always stuck with me. Um, because if there's one thing in my life that has cracked that mirror for me bigger than anything, it's racism. That has been the hardest thing for me to accept and not allow to crack into every area of my life. Because being a black person, right, a Mexican, half black, but move about the world and I'm seen as this black woman, I live in a country that was founded on some ideas that I'm not a person. And growing up, my parents, who are amazing people, so right there, um, <laughs> decided so that we could have the most opportunity and best education um, and most access to things. Uh, we were in predominantly white neighborhoods and predominantly white schools. Now, why those were the best schools is a whole nother thing on racism that we'll get to one day. Um, so my whole life, I'm in these predominantly white environments, and this crack is getting bigger and bigger and bigger because I'm in school, and I'm watching my friends go to the mall and walk into stores without getting followed. I'm watching my friends get pulled over and not be scared or not get pulled over at all. I'm watching my friends actually believe that they can do anything they want to be and be happy in class as we read book after book after book after book after book that was written by someone that looked like them. And I'm watching this happen, and I'm just getting mad and mad and mad and mad and more mad. The only thing these kids are learning about me in school is slavery. And I'm like, what? I'm up at night reading books on like Marcus Garvey and Bayard Rustin and Julian Bond, and they'll never know these names because they'll never have to know these names. And it's a broken system that cracked the way I see white people. Bigly. <laughs> so, so by the time I got to college, I was mad, right? <laughs> and I remember thinking like, <laughs> I want my roommate to know what's up. My roommate was, she was white, I went to APU. So I'm like, I'm gonna hang this poster of Malcolm X in my room before, you know. <laughs> and my roommate was so sweet and we're good friends and she's awesome and was very unbothered because she didn't know who it was. <laughs> so um, <laughs> really the militant joke is on me. So, um, so I'm an Enneagram 7 and I'm naturally this person who wants to be happy. And so it started really affecting me that I was getting so mad and that anger from like racism started to like move into anger about whatever. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm pretty mad. Um, and so this is my first encounter with therapy. I go to therapy, um, I'm like 19, and I start this healing process. My therapist is like, what do you think you wanna talk about? And I was like, I'm really mad at white people. And I can't seem to get less mad because the system doesn't seem to be changing. So how am I supposed to get any kind of healing and be less mad if I'm seeing the same things I'm mad about happen? Um, and so it began this process for me of owning some of those realities and trying to find a way to not be angry because angry isn't who I was. It's not who I wanted to be. It's not what I wanted to put into the world, but it's the reaction I had from what was going on. Um, and that journey has been a long one for me. And if anyone has ever met my wife, and you're thinking like, oh, 
There's been some progress, right? Um, <laughs> spoiler alert, I made some progress. And, um, and I think there, there were a lot of, there's a, a lot of hard work that has to be done to move from a place of anger into a journey of healing. And last week, um, when we talked about forgiveness, there's this, and healing and, and engaging in people's humanity that's, that's hard for you. I think there was this misconception that that's a moment or it's some kind of graduation process. It's like a linear thing. Like, I used to feel this way about white people, and then I moved to feeling this way about them, and then this way, and this way, and this way, until I moved to, like, unconditional love, and now I'll never go back, right? That's, like, what we think about forgiveness. Of, like, this happened, and I felt this way about this person, this way, this way, this way, and it's this, like, linear process. The thing is 100% fluid. Our lives and our journeys with healing is 100% fluid because I love white people. I love my wife. I love Corey. I have so many great white people over my family. Uh, and truly, I feel proud of the progress in my own heart and the way in which I engage with the world. But if there's a two-month period of time one summer where I see four unarmed black men get killed and I have no hope or faith that anything will happen to the people that killed them, oh, I'm going right back. If I'm sitting on 420 and all my friends are getting high because weed is legal now and everyone's having a good time, good for them. But what about all of the black men who are in prison for possession of marijuana? I'm going right back, right? This isn't a linear process. It's I am on this trajectory of healing because there has been a crack in the mirror that, of the way that I see myself and God and humanity and I don't want it to spread. I'm trying to go the way of Jesus, which always moves to more peace and health and wholeness. And I will be reclaiming that forever. And I am okay with that. I'm okay with this, the fact that I still feel deeply enough to care when I see something happen. I still care about this effed up system that made me feel these things in the first place. So how do we balance that with the reality of Genesis 1? By giving ourselves freedom to see it not as this graduation moment, right? For anyone who grew up in the evangelical church, there's so many things that are based on a moment, right? Oh, you feel this? Like, leave it at the altar, never pick it up again. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> I'm gonna be picking this thing up and putting it down forever. Because the system is gonna keep turning out oppression and messed up power structures forever. And as long as I am open to this idea of transformation and health and healing and wholeness, I feel good about that and I feel proud of that. And I want to stay on that journey. And so um, yesterday, so my friend, my, my friend, my wife's best friend is in town. Give it up for Sharky, everybody. Yeah. So yesterday we're sitting by the pool and Sammy was like, how's your sermon coming? I was like, oh, good. I'm actually doing um, forgiveness and like loving your enemies again, right? And like from both of them, I get like a, and I'm like, <laughs> and I realized in that moment that I am sitting with two women who have been through more than humans should have to go through, um, that have been affected by people that have abused power in the realest ways. And in that moment, they didn't want to hear shit from me about forgiveness. 
as we're like sitting at the pool, they're just like, I don't want to hear it. And so um, they asked me what I was going to talk about, and then they challenged every single thing I was going to say. <laughs> and I'm so grateful that we had this moment because it turned into this beautiful conversation about gray. Um, it turned into this beautiful conversation about how do we simultaneously build up these boundaries and tear down these misconceptions of scripture and what we've been taught and choose this way of Jesus. And we're having this conversation and my wife has this moment where she says something. And so my wife, in her own story, has been abused by someone who misused their power that they were given by the church. And she said, well, I don't think I've forgiven that person. And I was like, what do you mean? I was like, you are married to a person who the church has given authority to. You are open to being in a community, another church community, that person didn't take that from you. You have more love and joy in your heart than anyone I know, that person didn't take that from you. You are forgiving. You are literally forgiveness walking. This isn't about a moment where all of a sudden that person has no power of you, or you have to call them, or you have to do any of this. It's are you open to continually pursuing that transformation even though people along the way are going to crack that image of you, of God, of people around you. Are you open to continuing to seek that way out? You're, you are forgiving. It's like a noun, verb. I don't know, I'm looking at English teachers like, is it? <laughs> it's, a, it's a thing you are. It's present participle. Um, you embody that. I, and, and Sammy's best friend, we're, we're having this conversation. Um, and she has a similar story, right? She, someone used their power to abuse her in such a specific way to where she, no one would think twice if she was not open to caring about anyone ever again. And she's saying, well, I don't know if I've forgiven that person. And I'm like, you are open to meeting me a human being you didn't know before, and giving and receiving love from me. You are forgiving. There is so much room for all of us to be in the gray because life, everything besides age, basically, is not linear. We will be moving through this thing, and we don't have moments where things disappear. We have decisions that move us on a trajectory and a journey towards health and peace and wholeness. And that doesn't look the same for anybody, right? That does not look the same for anybody. But foundationally, the openness is all there. And so I told them in the beginning, I was like, after I did like my sermon, he's going to say, and Sammy's, like, oh, Sammy's always like, well, what's the point? And then I say, <laughs> <laughs> the point this week is going to be like healing and action. You heal and you take action. You heal and you take action. It's just like it made so much sense to me of like, yes, that healing and that action. And after this like conversation by the pool, Sharky was like, well, is the healing the action? And is the action the healing? And so I started thinking about last weekend when our queen um, graced us with a performance at Coachella and <laughs> Queen of America. And I, um, I was sitting in my bed 
watching Beyonce at Coachella, because that's where I got to see it from. Um, and I mean, like, I, I had so many, like, I was so just giddy. Like, I was so happy I could cry. I was also so, like, touched I could cry. This, like, Coachella performance was, like, deeply healing for me to see, like, the first black woman headline at Coachella. And then when she did with it, she did, like, the blackest set possible. It's just this, like, tribute to blackness. She sang the black national anthem at Coachella, like, with all these people that are just, like, you know? And, um... <laughs> And I'm like, this is so healing for me. And so Corey and I always joke up here all the time that like he doesn't understand Beyonce and I don't understand the show Mad Men. It is fundamentally people who go to work and then come home. And I like tried it for three seasons, but I was like, does the, I don't know, you know? And so <laughs> we joke about it all the time. But the other day I'm like, Corey, did you see Beyonce's Coachella performance? You know, he's like, yeah, I saw some parts, but it was like, looked really good. I'm like, yeah, but this, you know, and we got to have a conversation about it. And a few weeks ago, when we were up in the mountains, um, we had an actual conversation about the show Mad Men. And I was like, well, help me understand. And Corey starts explaining about how much that show has meant to him because he saw himself in a story where he has not seen himself in a story yet. That character, that show, those seasons put words, put like pictures, put visuals to something that like he has experienced and people he knows has experienced and it was like deeply, deeply meaningful for him. And I was like, I love that, right? We'll still joke about it because um, I still kind of don't get it. And we still joke about it because he still kind of doesn't get Beyonce. Um, and I had this moment where I'm like, this six foot, what are you, six two? Six one and three quarters. This tall, straight white male has just come into my life and I love him so dearly. And we get to have conversations about Mad Men and Beyonce because of our own healing. Our relationship is the action that came from the healing, but our relationship creates healing and creates more room for more action, which is more community and more relationships. Because now when I see someone like Corey, I think about Corey. Instead of seeing someone like Corey and thinking about the worst case scenario. The healing is the action, the action is the healing, and it all happens in relationships when we are able to connect our humanity to someone else's. When I'm able to say, I have no idea what you're talking about, keep talking, I am listening. I don't see the world like that because my mirror looks like this and has been cracked in this way, and Corey's like, my mirror looks like this and has been cracked in this way, and only through choosing to see each other's humanity, through healing, through action of community, are we gonna get to share in that exchange are we going to get to be forgiving? My wife and Sharky, they move through the world with so much freaking joy and love. It's insane. That doesn't mean nothing is ever hard for them. That doesn't mean they have days that are really shitty. But they come back to that healing and that action is the openness to engaging in something which is the very place that hurt them. That is forgiving. This is a journey we are on. This is not a thing we will arrive at. This is not a hand we will raise. This is not a thing we will shed. We get to do this together. The action for all of us is this community. It's whatever communities you have. It's your relationships. The healing 
comes through this community, through relationships, but it also comes through however it's going to come to you, right? Like we talk about therapy here every week because it's just the best. <laughs> but we heal, we take action. Our action makes room for healing and our healing makes room for more action. And that is not linear because something might happen to you when you go back. Just a couple years ago, Sammy and I, our lives crossed paths with someone who was abusing power, um, in the same way of like Sammy's story. And that was very hard. Um, and that created very hard conversations and hard moments because it's not linear, right? It's not to say everybody right now, you're gonna leave today, you're gonna go on this path and nothing's gonna be hard and you're gonna be like, wow, people are good. No, it's gonna be like this, you know? I love Corey. And we are going to have a conversation probably sometime in the near future because something's going to happen and I'm going to get pushed back here. And it's going to really challenge the healing that I've done because I'm going to see racism happen, right? Um, and that's going to be hard. And then we get to do it again. And that's going to be hard and we get to do it again. And it's going to be hard and we get to do it again. And the loving your enemies, the forgiving, the healing in action, it's the and we get to do it again. I feel like the, the myth that Christianity has preached that makes me the most upset is that there's a way to live life where nothing bad will ever happen to you. You say the, the thing's right and you do the thing's right. Um, but that's not the case. The person we are following went to the cross. Um, and so there will be moments. It's our faithfulness to this journey and this openness, openness of the way of Jesus that will push us towards peace and wholeness transformation and being able to actually see each other. What does it mean to take those cracks, right, that have been put in our mirror and see ourselves? Because our healing contributes to the healing of the world. See each other. Because our healing contributes to the way we will see others and the way we see God and encounter this whole thing called humanity. So that is the journey that we will be on and we will keep talking about this. Um, and we're going to be talk keep talking about it. So we're going to take a few minutes and we are going to just have some silence in ourselves. We're going to close our eyes. We're going to get comfy. We're going to put our hands, let them fall by our sides or in our lap. We're just gonna have a few minutes of silence. We're just gonna focus on taking deep breaths, connecting to ourself, and allowing whatever we're feeling to settle in just a little bit. slowly come back here. Before we get into our groups, I feel like I just want to say that I'm so proud to be a part of this community. 
just based off the fact of how many people I know are in this room choosing this way of Jesus. Particularly, a lot of people in here hate church, and here we are. Um, <laughs> we've been hurt by church, and here we are. Every week we get in circles of groups of people who somehow resemble the people that have been responsible for something uh, that cracked our mirror, and here we are. We are forgiving, we are doing this, and we are figuring it out through healing and action. I'm very proud of that. Um, so we're gonna get back in our groups, and we're gonna talk about this question, where in your life do you need more healing and action? And if you don't wanna talk about that, you could talk about anything else you thought of. Enjoy. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the New Abbey Podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.